0: the Rugby Paper Podcast's final episode of 2023, we're looking back at two weekends of Champions Cup action, as well as looking forward to Harlequin's big game in a couple of weeks' time against Gloucester. Joining us to do so is someone who has nearly 70 England caps, Harlequin's in England's second rower, Joe Launchbury. Before we kick off this episode of the pod, Christmas is coming up, everyone. For any rugby superfan out there, give them the ultimate Christmas present by gifting them an official hospitality experience at Twickenham with Keith Prowse, principal sales partner to England Rugby Hospitality. They've got a place at the stadium called The Gate, and it is incredible. It's a chop house style restaurant serving some incredible steaks and an all-inclusive bar. But that's not even the best thing, as the premium seats it offers are right on the touchline between the 22s in the East Stand, which in my opinion are the best seats in the stadium. It's an incredible experience, and they now only have packages left for the England-Wales match for next year's Guinness Six Nations. So I suggest you get in touch with our friends at Keith Prowse by visiting their website, keithprouse.co.uk forward slash the Rugby Paper. Welcome back to the Rugby Paper podcast. Um, Just a brief reminder of the sort of new fortnightly episode schedule until the Six Nations. So if you missed us last week, now you know why. Um, In the time gone by, we've had two weekends of Champions Cup action. Today's special guest was a part of both of those weekends uh, on the right side of one result in a thriller against Racing and on the wrong side of the other against a Toulouse side that we were just saying off air were very, very impressive. Uh, nearly 17 England caps to his name. Joe Launchbury, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you.
0: Has the uh, body held up okay after your battle against Emmanuel Me- Meafu?
1: Yeah, he's, pretty, he's a pretty big guy. Probably one of the biggest I've played against, I think, um... Yeah, been a tough, tough couple of weeks, like you said. Then um, been a con- bit of a contrasting fortnight for us. Obviously, a great win out in Rathmines, probably one of the best wins I've been a part of, really, in, in my career. And then um, we knew what a tough ask it would be at the weekend. And to be fair to Toulouse, um, they played obviously re- exceptionally well, and they're, they're pretty stacked, aren't they? Got some amazing players. So um, we were we were in the battle for a fair bit, but um, I, the last sort of half an hour really probably got away from us. Do you think that the, uh, the win against wrestling sort of put a target on your back in the eyes of Toulouse? Uh, potentially. I think they, they certainly didn't underestimate us. You see quite a few, maybe a few of the French teams came to travel to England with maybe slightly rotated teams. They certainly didn't. They paid us a fair bit of respect by picking probably the strongest team they could pick, which um, was, to be fair, exactly what we wanted. Uh, it was a great challenge for us as a, quite a young group um, to kind of see where we stand against what is, in my mind, Probably, probably one of, if not the best, one of the best teams in Europe.
0: Yeah, yeah. You felt that you were playing against one of the best teams in Europe. Yeah, certainly for for parts of it, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you do you think do you think Joe that um,
2: uh, that Harlequin style, which which you know most rugby people love to bits. I mean, you you play a lot of rugby. It's an all court game. It's high tempo, etc. Does. Does that play into the hands of a team like Toulouse just a little bit? You 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 must have talked a little about that before the um bit before kickoff that that generally when when English sides or, or Irish sides in, in in the Champions Cup have really got hold of Toulouse they've given them a bit of a battering up front they've denied them any kind of oxygen whereas you lot sort of you you love to breathe the air don't you?
1: Yeah, um, we definitely spoke about it a lot in the week. We actually, to be fair, we probably. Didn't quite execute quite a few of the things that maybe we, we looked to do in the week, um, which was probably the most disappointing part. I felt the the effort and the sort of the fight was was there, but the bits you were talking about there maybe feeding their energy. Um, we wanted to try and take away from that, like you said, um, not feed their sort of offloading game, their slightly erratic tra- transition game. Um and that block I talked about there, you feel like you're playing one of, against one of the best teams is when every offload seems to stick, you're constantly on the back foot. Um and it feels like sometimes they're playing against a few extra men, um, which makes it pretty tough. And so yeah, we d- we definitely fed that energy. Um, could have we done a bit more up front? Potentially um, losing sort of Dino, one of our main lineup options early on, um, and already having quite we picked quite an attritional back row rather than maybe a bit more of a jumping back row. So then to lose Dino as well with a bit of a loss. Um, so yeah, we probably lost a bit of, a bit in the lineup So maybe we couldn't quite get that set piece stranglehold that maybe we wanted. How is Dino doing? Yeah, I think he's he's up and he's up and about those things. And they're always horrible to see, aren't they? Um, the medical team doing what they need to do and what they're paid to do to do a great job looking after him. Um, he was in the club today, moving around, going through all the various checks. But yeah, for sure, won't, won't be playing for for this game for sure. And and yeah, d- uh, definitely taking it steady. Good.
0: Do you? Well, that's yeah, that is great to hear. Um, I want to come back to Meafu, just because well, player of the match and obviously now. Soon to be eligible for France, which is a pretty scary prospect. Um, I was actually watching Skulk Berger talk about playing opposite Henry Tuilangi, and that sort—you of, know—playing opposite Mayafu obviously rings a similar bell. Were you not afraid, but intimidated standing opposite someone like that?
1: Well, I thought the screen always added pounds. That's what I've been told. But yeah. I watched it, watching the, watching the clips of him in the week. I, I knew he was big, but it wasn't yeah. until I stood against, stood next to him I realized quite how big he was. Um, I got a good friend, my my good friend Jack Willis is there, and he's told me a bit about some of the stuff that he gets up to in training and sort of how how big he's been for them and been a real big part of their sort of their pack. So we certainly didn't underestimate him. But um, yeah, and the impressive thing with someone like him is he played the 80 minutes, so it was a it was a pretty fast it was a pretty fast game in, in parts, really attritional. Uh, and I think French rugby, a lot of French players get quite a lot of stick for being massive and maybe only playing for, sort of 45. Fifty minutes. This guy can play. He played the eighty-minute shift. He saw, he saw it out, and uh, that's something I've always prided myself on. And it looks like it's something that he's, um, yeah, he's really he's got already in the spades, which is great.
2: Two, two questions on on that, Joe. Um, a, did you call him a bag of wind at the first lineout, which is what people like you should do with seventy caps? Um, but seri- seriously, there, there's always a lot been said about French fitness in general, particularly at club level. And there is yeah. still an assumption amongst some broadcasters that they're going to blow, they're going to blow up yeah. at some point um, in the final quarter. Do you think that that's become that that's now mythological, that, or or certainly lost in in the in the midst of history?
1: Yeah, I, I'll be. It used to be a narrative we used to say for sure. Um, we used to talk about sort of the real strength for the French team, the stuff we talked about earlier about sort of not giving them that energy to sort of make their game come alive. And then we used to always kind of feel like if you were, especially when we play for England, if you were you're in the game at maybe sort of sixty against France, you you felt like you were in a real strong position to go on and win the game. We always backed our, ourselves in that regard. But I don't hear that chatter anymore from from like over the last couple of weeks. We certainly weren't saying that as a team. Um, we probably talk more about starting well against these guys now. You have got to really, especially away in Racing, We knew the crowd being inside, all those sort of things would feed their sort of feed their energy. They're quite an emotional they can be quite emotional at times. So they, they play on that emotion really, really well. Um, but for sure, the fitness seems to be, I think that's been the biggest change in French rugby, um, without studying it in too much detail from, from my view, they've always been exceptionally talented. They've always been able to do all the real sort of, sort of intricacies of the game and also some of the real hard, sort of the hard yards as well, but perhaps haven't had the consistency to maybe do it over and over again when they're really, really tired. Um, but now that seems to be a, a sort of a bit in the past, and yeah, I mean, I look at them now; they seem really, really fit, and and like I said, there's guys who don't have to come off at fifty; they can play the whole game and and really keep that sort of fitness going. From the
0: uh, from the Harlequins perspective, now obviously, what where does the sort of Toulouse result have you spoken about where that leaves you guys? Obviously, great win against Sale, great great win against Racing. What how do you stand now following this weekend? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I feel we're in a really, we're in a pretty strong place, really. Um, we know how how quickly these games come over Christmas, and I wasn't here last year, but the boys have talked a bit about this is the period that we probably got wrong last year. Um, Quinn's lost a few games around this cr- Christmas period, and because they're so sort of condensed, bouncing between Europe and Premiership, we drop into the Premiership now for three games. And if you don't get it right, three games is actually quite a big chunk of the season nowadays. So um, we have to kind of slot back in really well and there is a bit of disappointment about last week, but if you take the two week block as a whole, we've come away at five points. Um in games that probably outside people maybe wouldn't have given us too much of a chance in. Um so whilst frustrated to not get anything out of the game at the weekend, we probably should have got something out of the game. Um I don't think we're we're certainly not disheartened by that. And yeah, the attention goes straight back to a to a game this weekend against a team who are being talked pretty highly about by Journalist, media, and, and and rightly so at Bath have been really strong so far. They've probably been the most improved side in the league um, for sure. So, yeah, we've got a, a, a big challenge to think sort of our thief into this again. We'll get to the big
0: game in a little bit. Uh, just while we're on the subject of Rassing, obviously, one player that's been in the news quite a lot in the past week or so is Henry Arundel, who has made himself ineligible for England duty by signing on for Rassing until 2026. Brendan, I'll bring you in. What do you make of that? Whole situation. It's obviously, you know, the eligibility ruling is is something we've spoken about quite a lot. Does this just highlight the need for it to change even well, more? Yeah, I've
3: got a lot of sympathy for him. I mean, my understanding is that he was given an understanding initially that he could do this and he could be eligible for the Six Nations this season. Well, you know, that's what the RFU said when he did it. Um, I kind of feel they ought to honor that. That was a, he based his decisions around that. Very difficult circumstances for him when London Irish went pop. Um, and he had to make a decision. So I think he's had the rug pulled under his feet rather horribly there. Um, I've always said that the, the lads can play where they want. If they want to play in France, they, all, they always seem to come back better players. Um, why Why shouldn't you play 22 miles over the ditch? I, I don't get it. I've never got it. Um, but it does seem that they're still going to impose that law with Henry Arundel anyway. Uh, I don't think it'll affect his career whatsoever. A year in the T14 um, he'll get that under the belt. He'll play very well, I'm sure. He'll score great tries. He'll, you know, he'll work on his game, and he'll come back uh, a better player. But I, I don't really understand how they've got to this situation. It shouldn't have happened.
4: There's there's massive hypocrisy here, Ollie. You know, I mean, the RFU has a responsibility to make sure that the Premiership is properly administered. Three clubs go bust. Players are blowing in the wind wondering where they're going to play you know next not not just next season next week you know or or whatever and you know then they bring in a, a law that says you know that that actually or reactivate a law that says there's no um uh, mitigation at all you know you've got to play in the premiership otherwise you're out i think it's nonsense and i think that uh, it, it's it's a double standard as well um, I understand, you know, premiership directors of, of rugby and, uh, you know, almost certainly Steve Borthwick, although, you know, Borthwick said at the outset that he was, he'd rather see players playing over in France and, and that they'd be eligible for England. You know, the real pressure has come on from the premiership directors of rugby who basically don't want to see guys not in the premiership. But for me, there's not enough opportunity for young players to come through as as it is. There are a huge number of uh, non-eligible overseas players who've got dispensations because they're South Africans or South Americans or Pacific Islanders playing in the premiership already. And, uh, you know, one of the big difficulties is getting young English players to get game time at the right level.
0: Joe, can I ask what you think of all of this? Obviously, you mentioned Jack Willis earlier. He's presumably going to be faced with a similar conundrum soon. Um, and I know post-World Cup, he was looking at talks with the RFU for potentially being able to continue that um, eligibility through the the sort of, obviously, WASPs anomaly, so to speak. What do you make of it all?
1: Yeah, I think, I think obviously, Henry's going through it now or, or just gone through it. And Jack was in an almost identical situation, as were a number of my sort of ex-colleagues and, and guys from Worcester we had choices to make really then do we go overseas and kind of put a, put an end to international aspirations then or or do we stay? And I at the time chose to go to Japan. I felt that was the best opportunity for me. And, and in terms of going, a, going abroad and playing abroad, I think I can speak from my experience of something I would never have done, but I'm so grateful that I got to do it and absolutely love my experience. Um, I, I did it at a slightly different obviously, stage of my career to Henry, but, Henry hasn't just gone like I did to Japan. He's gone to an an extremely elite team in in France, coached by one of the one of the, a great coach, one of the one of the best coaches I've been coached by. Um, so yeah, Henry's going to come back a better player, a hundred percent. The the rule around it, yeah, I mean it's it's tough, isn't it? It's a rule that's been it's almost they're at the point now where if they changed it. It would almost they've they've gone so far down one road with it, and there's been a lot of players who have taken contracts in England in order to carry on with their international career and I'm sure a whole bunch of them would be aggrieved with the idea that they've done it and then someone else thought so it's at, but I guess at some point they have to put the line in the sand and, and say this is this is what we want to do moving forward. Um I can see why young guys want to go and try their hand in the French league. It's uh, every weekend seems to be a huge competition and a huge challenge and uh obviously the easy throwaway comment is to say you're going for money. Um and I'm sure that is some people's sort of motivation but I also think it's a fantastic lead to go and sort of le- learn about yourself and, and also improve as a player.
0: Interested by the sort of framing of obviously some people stayed in the UK or stayed in England rather to, uh, to hold on to their international aspirations. And obviously, Jack Willis went to France, kept playing for England. Henry Arundel obviously has gone to Racing initially eligible if for England now now no longer is what do you make of the sort of do you think that those decisions were made with the expectation almost or the hope that the RFU would change it at least so that if your move was enforced by obviously the the really sad events of last year with three clubs going into administration that 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 loophole would still be enforced however long you want to play there. Cause obviously you move country, you move to a new club. It's, it's destabilizing. You've done it twice in the last year.
1: Yeah. Maybe, may, maybe I can't speak for every individual case, but I think next point's the, 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 the point really is obviously cl- it doesn't take a, it's a, you don't need to look too deep into it to, to realize that the finance in the English game are different and clubs aren't in positions to just be offering contracts left, right and center. Um, Obviously, I've been through that experience myself and, and I, I'm extremely thankful for the chance to stay in England myself. And, but that was a family decision to stay stay in England. We were desperate to stay in England. And coupled with the fact that I got a chance to come to a great club at Harlequins, I feel very extremely fortunate. But a lot of guys didn't get the opportunity. And someone like Jack didn't get a huge amount of opportunities in England to continue to play rugby here. So then what's he faced with? He's faced with uh, potentially an opportunity in England or he's faced with the idea of going to like I said earlier, a huge club in Europe and from a rugby point of view seems like a no-brainer um, but he is passionate about playing for England and desperate to play for England um, and I think he's proved that in the way he's played and is Henry in the same boat? I don't know I don't know if Henry had offers in England or not but it's, I guess it's not quite as simple as just saying uh, they didn't want to stay in England sometimes it's, a, it's sort of comparing two different things really and get a contract, sort of late notice last minute, especially if you're a player of England's aspirations it's extremely hard to fit yourself into into a cap which is the maths don't really work on anyway
3: and there's another way of looking at this um henry arundel's one of the hottest properties in the world if he comes back he won't be on a bog standard salary if he gets his his market value salary that's money that would probably employ two or three maybe four players in that club on, on on average on their normal salaries so to bring him back you have to make a big disruption the club he's going to uh plus he was already promised he could have that this season in the top 14 when he made his informed decision to uh to go to paris so um i think that, you know the RFU's behavior of this has, has been very poor haven't they just dug
2: themselves into a, a bigger hole i mean you 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 refer to your time um back leading into 2015 and under stuart lancaster um, I mean, this this kind of thing was in place then, but there was always Stuart always spoke about unless exceptional circumstances occur, and the RFU never actually defined what the exceptional circumstances were, which is quite clever, unusually clever for the RFU. I would I would argue, um, and and it obviously it obviously meant that if if somebody was absolutely if, if there was a, a rash of injuries in the same position, obviously that's an exceptional circumstance. But it was also completely clear that if someone was totally playing the house town in France and was self-evidently a key member of the side or would be a key member of the side, then allowances would be made. So there doesn't seem to be that kind of flexibility at work now with the RFU, which is which is a, a little bit old. And they find themselves flying in the face of of pretty much everything that's going on everywhere else in the world. I mean, we know New Zealand don't pick from outside of New Zealand, but crikey, they don't have to make some compromises in shipping players out on sabbaticals and letting them go to France for a chunk of time. As long as they're around for a World Cup selection, then that then that's fine. And I would have thought it's not beyond the of man to make sure that any English player playing in France, as long as uh, they're available pretty much contractually for when they're needed, uh, or the lion's share of when they're needed, I really don't see an objection to people playing abroad. It broadens their horizons. It makes better players of them, generally speaking. Even James Haskell came back a better player. Even James came back a better player from his travels.
4: But there's also, you know, I mean, there's another uh, just a logistical factor here, and that is, is that all this stuff about, you know, a mass ed- exodus of English players going across to France, it's actually, it's completely scotched by the the... French regulations the gif regulations which stipulate i think this season it's got to be i think it's 75% or more of players in those top 14 squads have got to be french qualified yeah would <laughs> it be the same in the premiership i mean the premiership seemed to you know some of the premiership owners seem to want to have their cake and eat it mm. all the time you know they want to stop players going you know going g- going to europe and yet they they stack premiership squads with people who are not, you know, non-English qualified.
2: The days have gone, Nick, haven't they, when, when the French couldn't find a tight end because they were all Georgians and they couldn't find a wing because they were all Fijians. Those days have gone. As yeah. you say, the, yeah. the GIF regulations are far tighter over there now and they're, 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 they're a with players. So they, they have as many players as they need and probably more than they
4: can use. And English players have got to compete against, you know, players from yeah. all over the world for those contracts. Yeah. You know, Which so is good for them. Not simple which is good for them yeah
0: yeah absolutely what are the odds of henry arundel playing for france in four years time
3: (laughs) that's a a bit mischievous yeah
2: well (laughs) world rugby are capable of anything as we know
4: (laughs) it's a hand grenade that landed in the middle of the channel ollie
0: (laughs) (laughs) right um I want to preview the big game very, very quickly, Joe. Um, I'm not sure you know about this, actually, because you weren't in contact with me before the podcast. You are in contact with Nick Powell. But we do a little random Rugby 15 section, which is just 15 quick file questions about you and your career, um, yep. if, that, if that works with you. And then we'll preview the big game. No problem. Cool. Awesome. Nickname?
1: Uh,
0: Launchers. Best rugby memory? Uh, England, first cap. Most embarrassing rugby memory?
1: Uh, don't know actually. Luckily, not too. I dropped the ball over the line one of my first games it was <laughs> Early on, free pre-game, pre-game tune. Um, I I don't listen. I I'm. That's one thing I don't ever have headphones on before the game. So whatever's in the change room, I like to listen to the crowd when I'm walking in and stuff. Post-game meal. Uh, pizza.
0: Nice. Best player you've played against.
1: Against, I always say Paul O'Connell for that just sort of someone I've played, played always watched growing up in the chance to play against him and remember he held me back for a try under the post and I still can't forget it now but those sort of dark arts unseen stuff um, he was a master at it Best player <laughs> you played with? Uh,
0: George Smith probably Favourite player right now? Uh, Favourite player right now?
1: Fresh in the mind from the weekend, a not bad of it. <laughs> <laughs> Rugby idol. Do you think he'll succeed in sevens? Oh, I think he, I think he can see, succeed in whatever he wants if he, if he wanted to, with a balance on it. It'd be whether he can bounce between the two, but I know he's so passionate about winning, winning the winning the league in the in Europe this year with Toulouse. So it's he'd very better to do it all. But yeah, I, I can see it. I can see him being quite handy at sevens. Yeah. Rugby idol. Um, probably someone from the O3 gangs. Probably someone like Martin Johnson. Favorite stadium? Um my favorite stadium? Or we say Atmosphere, the uh, Olympico in Italy. I I like I like going there and fortunately we usually win there as well, so normally it's quite good all around. When's the last time you went there? Uh when did I last go? Twenty 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 two maybe?
0: Twenty twenty one? Yeah. Favourite gym exercise?
1: none <laughs> <laughs> i thought that's what's gonna retire me i love the, i love the rugby I, lo- I still love playing and training but the gyms has never been for me um yeah so once you not hang out maybe... the
0: boots you're not setting foot in,
1: in well i office. feel like i might i i i enjoy it in the off season, so i feel like maybe more but when the body's so sore it's kind of doing what you can to get through to the weekend yeah very fair um occupation if rugby didn't exist it would be in sport, some sort of coach or another sport or I think, Yeah. Definitely
0: yeah. in sport. That's what we had Caden Murley on. He said PE teacher.
1: Yeah, we thought like that.
0: Yeah. All, all of the Harlequins boys are just going to end up being PE teachers after, the, after that. <laughs> you could be a stockbroker now you're a Harlequin, of course, Joe. Yeah? yeah, true. <laughs> Superstitions. None. None. Rugby law you would change.
1: God, a lot. Um... <laughs> Probably, swim, like keep it keep it uh, forward oriented. Probably something to do with the, like just walking at the side of a mall. I think, like people do now. Yeah, yeah, nice. Uh, and lastly, best thing about working in rugby. Uh, there's so many, but just as simple as being around sort of forty like-minded, similar age people. Yeah, Go to work every day and have a laugh. Even after a loss, it's yeah, it's the best job in the world. Very fortunate. Awesome.
0: Awesome stuff. I'm going to throw in a very, very cheeky question, which, depending on how you take it, I might cut from the edit. But, <laughs> you know, back in 2015, when you got made Man of the Match? Yeah. After the Australia <laughs> thing.
1: Yeah, I remember it well, yeah.
0: Yeah, can I just ask about it? Obviously, if you don't want to talk about it, I totally, totally get that.
1: No, um but... I'm, I'm not as embarrassed by it as everyone else thinks I should be by it. but uh...
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you just showed up, took took the tro- took the medal or whatever it was, and walked off.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't award it, and my dad didn't award it to me, so it was uh, a <laughs> it was a it, it was a really t- it was a I mean, that was a tough. It was a really tough tournament. It was, it was kind of I mean, it was a long, long time ago, but it still sits pretty firm in the memory. And I think those those days are good. They're a good driver. It's a good reason why I was so passionate to kick on and, and carry on playing for England because it was something that didn't sit well with any of us. Um, I said earlier, Stuart was a great coach and Stuart is, the, he's proven what a great coach he was. And if you'd asked us two weeks before that tournament, when we we'll ready for it? We were, but um, yeah, we, we had an re- extremely tough group. Someone out of us, well in Australia, we're going to go home pretty upset. Yeah, and sure. unfortunately it was us. I was, I'd done a neck operation a few months before and I was sort of fighting back to get back into the world cup squad and um, play a bit. And then obviously I was actually really proud of how I came back and then contributed and and, and, di- and felt I did play well. But you're in that un- horrible circumstance of getting knocked out of the Home World Cup. You're in the changing room after and someone taps you on the shoulder and says, you've won man in a match. And I literally thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever. Um, and I, I had a quick conversation with the media guy saying, please don't make me go out for the picture. Cause I had to go back out of the changing room for the picture. And obviously, as all, with all these things, you're contractually obliged to do all this sort of stuff. Um and yeah, I think I didn't. want I wanted to be anywhere, but there at the time. Um, but yeah, it was one of those one of those days. No, but well, like
0: you say, you seemingly not as embarrassed about it as everyone thought you were. The, the reason I asked is obviously when I asked most embarrassing rugby memory, there was a voice in the back of my head wondering whether you would say that. But...
1: Was it was that? Yeah, it was embarrassing in terms of getting losing out of the home world cup. Yeah,
0: but, fine. Uh, yeah. No, fair fair play for handling it like that because like. Like you say, it was well fra- framed a certain way and not necessarily particularly well handled, but no, thank you for um for answering no my problem. curiosity. <laughs> Is it actually
2: actually Joe, it, it was probably a good interview to miss because uh, I did remark about it in the rugby paper a couple of weeks ago, but your great predecessor Simon Shaw was in exactly the same situation
1: yeah, after the I do second remember. lions test in oh nine. Yeah. yeah.
2: And- and I mean, he did have a game that day.
1: I mean, yeah, I he, he probably played a bit better than I did that day. I think he, but, yeah, he, he did
2: have a game, but the, the interview afterwards, it was sympathetically done by Graham Simmons, but he found it really hard, Simon. So, mean, I mean, the, the old yeah, but, but
1: I think in it, and, it just shows that uh, it, don't, it no one you'd rather play rubbish and win every day of the week, and I, yeah. and I, I genuinely mean that. Like, um, you want to do your best for the team, and obviously you want to play well, and you're so desperate to play every week, but. I, I play a team sport, A, I probably wasn't good enough to play an individual sport, but I everything about a team sport I love and I'm so desperate for my kids to play a team sport, I don't care whether it's rugby or what, but it's those bits that you learn and, and those bits that I think makes our game so great um, are those bits and yeah, I'd happily never win a man of the match and, and win a few games and it'd be the other way around.
4: Good uh,
1: very well put. How, how old are your kids out of interest? Uh, nine, three, and eight months. So that's yeah. why I'm yeah busy, 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 but all good.
0: The nine-year-old as tall as you?
1: She, she's on her way. Yeah, she's gonna be tall. Yeah. So. But yeah, maybe maybe the, the two lads might play rugby. I don't know. It's, yeah, like I said, it's a great sport, but I won't be. I won't. I'll try not to be the pushy dad and push him into it. See what see what comes. My no. wife's not very sporty, so maybe they might follow her into something a bit different.
0: Awesome. Not PE teaching either then. <laughs> exactly. They can <laughs> dream 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 higher, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh right. Last little ten minutes or so. Let's look ahead to that big game. Um, obviously Twickenham Stadium, doubleheader, Harlequins versus Gloucester and Harlequins Woman versus Gloucester Hartbury on December thirtieth. Um, tickets are still available, by the way, 35 pounds for adults and 25 pounds for under 18. So Go to eticketing.co.uk forward slash Harlequins to get yours. Joe, how are you feeling? It's obviously your first one. Um, what have you... Well, have you ever played in
1: one against Quins before? Was did play one a few years ago, but I was unfortunately uh, injured. So, now I've never... Like you said, it will be my complete first experience of a of a big game. I think it's great, really. I think it's, um, it's kind of... I think Quins have probably been the market leaders, really, in doing this... It's- obviously the 15th anniversary of it now. So they've been doing it for a long, long time. Um, and for a lot of players who maybe play week in, week out in the premiership, but never quite go on and reach international international level, this is by far and away the biggest sort of chance of playing a massive crowd that these guys get. So it's um, something that we don't take lightly. It's something I, I know that everyone gets really, really excited about. I think they're over seventy now, see. So it's, by the time the game comes around, it's probably going to be. You'll probably look to the eye, pretty much sold out. Even if it's, it's going to be there or thereabouts. Um, so yeah, it's a great. Um, it's great for the club, obviously financially great for the club, but more importantly, it comes at a, a good time for us and a nice bit of buzz around Christmas to have a yeah a pretty cool game to look forward to it
0: is that big but I think it's the biggest annual club match in the world or that's certainly how it's built um you get a nice unique kit for it obviously Twickenham absolutely packed out like you say you mentioned just on the rugby front you mentioned that last year the chat in the sort of in the squad is that you didn't get that sort of bit of the season right just talk about why around end of December time January obviously Quinns didn't you know would have liked to have Made playoffs last year, and they didn't why it's such a pivotal point in the in in the in the season
1: yeah well, the i mean firstly the games are so tight at the moment it it is literally it can sometimes be you can play well but not quite get the result um what was i th- i feel from coming in my, myself and a few other players and Danny wilson the coach should just try to build a bit more consistency within within the group try and Regard, take the result out of it. Can we be consistent in our performance week in, week out? Um, try and not just look at purely results. Can we play the way we want to play and be consistent week in, week out? And that's the challenge in itself. Um, I also think it's an e- potentially an easy excuse, but um, as you talked about right at the start of the, of, of the show, Quinn traditionally like firm tracks, like a bit of sunshine to play maybe the, that real style. The English season's kind of split into three, really. It kind of starts pretty, pretty decent weather. And then these sort of three months in the middle now are, especially some of the pitches in the league uh, are pretty pretty hard to play that sort of style in, which can be really wet. And, and then obviously it clears up again back towards the end of the season. So we've tried to build a bit of a game this year, which allows us to be sort of a bit more, be able to play to whatever whatever we need to win at the weekend. So yes, we still have a DNA of wanting to attack and score tries, but hopefully we've we've also got a set piece which can which can live with some of the teams in the league as well. And and our defence needs to continue to improve, but I feel like it is on 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 an upward path. Um, so, yeah, those are the bits, really. As for the ins and outs of why the game's got away, maybe not too sure, but, um, but yeah, this is, a, like, like I said, it's a huge, huge block of the season, really. That's
0: very interesting, because, obviously, you mentioned the Queen's blueprint and how it's typically running rugby. Um, and, obviously, against Racing, it was seen that Marcus Smith was, obviously, front and centre of that very, very great win. How do you think I know you've not been a teammate of his for too, too long, but how do you think he's remodeling his game to be able to play by the blueprint that is more more suitable for those conditions where, like you say, it's not necessarily the the flat track with, you know dry, dry grass and sun and sunny weather?
1: Yeah, it's one of the things I was personally excited about coming to Quinns for um a whole host of reasons, but one of them was the chance to play with Marcus, um, being in and out of some England teams with him. Um, so knew, knew him personally, knew, knew how good he was. Um, but I guess I've kind of grown up playing with sort of 40 and Faz really, and, and, and what they're all about. So for me to have the chance to come and see Marcus play, try and help him if I can in any, in any sort of way, but fundamentally just sort of see how he operates week in, week out. And yeah, I've been really, really impressed with him. Obviously, it, exceptionally talented. Um, I think you see how he was against in that sort of indoor firm track. I, I don't know if you want many other ten sort of steering you around the pitch. Um, but yeah, he, he's going to continue to improve for sure. Um, so yeah, no, really enjoying, really enjoying sort of playing with him, seeing seeing how he sort of prepares in the week and how he leads the team. He's obviously still a young guy, but sort of the control he has over the players here is, is yeah great to see.
2: Can I ask you one thing, Joe? It's not on, on, on Marcus Smith or any individual, but you, you mentioned earlier that, that generally speaking, premiership games are pretty tight. I mean, a, a hell of a lot seemed to go down to the last five, six, seven minutes. With the laws as they are and the way referees tend to approach those very closing stages, how do sort of experienced players like you, uh, try to ensure that you're not, you're not left just waiting for the opposition to make a mistake so that the game ends because the risks of you going for turnovers and getting pinged and ended up five minutes from your own line, uh, five minutes from your own line, they're just very, very high. It just seems to me that teams have to defend completely differently in the last five minutes as they do at any other point in the game.
1: How, how do you begin to approach it if you're
2: not in possession?
1: Yes, yeah, um. It's quite. A, it's, it's a it's a hard point, really. And, you, and like you said, you do see the nerves sort of come in those last those last bits as well. For me, what what I think is massively important in that time, and it's easier said than done, is is territory. Um, and that's why I feel I I, I and I and I understand it, but I sense supporters' frustration late in the game when you're still trying to really really fight half for territory, you may, maybe see a little bit more kicking, and I understand that that can sometimes be. You can see that as a as a negative, but if you give away a penalty on the halfway line, you're immediately going to get kicked into the corner. You're immediately under the pressure. Just builds and you're pressure on pressure on pressure. So, wherever you're deep in their half, it's obviously a, a hell of a lot a hell of a bigger ask. And you and you sense there's a, a lot more comfort. Um, but yes, discipline's, again. Dis- discipline goes. I mean, the stats of discipline are are crazy. It's, it's pretty. Ob- it sounds pretty obvious, but. If you if you give away invariably if you give away more penalties than the other team you, you normally end up losing it's kind of as simple as that really um so sort of working with the ref understanding what the what the ref's giving every ref have penalties that they prefer some favour the attacking side some favour the defensive side so understanding that a little bit we've got some guys who are unbelievably unbelievable Jack and guys like Will Evans are league leaders really in, in that side of the game but have it with that you you're constantly on that hype-rope, really, of, of giving away penalties, um, but it, it's the way that that w- that we like to play and keep pushing the the envelope, so to speak. At, at, at Quinn's.
2: And there was that like one killer turnover in the World Cup, wasn't there? Sam Whitelock, um in the in the New Zealand Ireland game after that last thirty eight, thirty nine phases, was it, chaps? I mean, it was a, a, a huge yeah, probably, long yeah. attack,
1: and you just that's, wondered, I that's that that it... the thing if you if you don't have if you don't have Jack in your team and you don't have that sort of Teams now can be so competent with ball in hand. You're waiting a long time for a knock on. You can you can have the ball. They, teams can have the ball for a long, long time. And at, at times you've got to exert your. You can have all the best systems in the world defensively, but if you're slowly getting marched back a metre here, here and there over time, you're gonna that pressure is going to creep up. So yeah, it's yeah, so a it's a fine balance um, for sure. And yeah, we've certainly got it wrong at, at, at games at the end. We've made poor mistakes and. Sort of giving pressure right back onto them, but I'd like to think more often than not we get it right.
0: Just in terms of the opposition, Gloucester—they're obviously not where they'd want to be in the table. Um, I think they're just above Newcastle. But you also mentioned that in the Premiership at the moment, we spoke about um, Newcastle being an, an exception to this. But you've got nine really closely packed teams in terms of the in terms of ability. So presumably, you're not seeing Gloucester's placing in the league as any sort of indication of how close the game's going to be.
1: No, uh, Gloucester beat us week one. So we Yeah away at King's home always a hard place to go. But yeah, we we I mean it's a crazy old game. We thought we'd won it at the yeah. end with five points and it got pulled back for TMO and we ended up losing. So it was a crazy old finish. But um but yeah we yeah so we lost that we lost that week one. So for sure not underestimating then yeah like like you said then there there is they're as good a team as anyone else in the league. Really, a high-quality team. Um, so yeah, and I, I feel they play a potentially similar, similar sort of style to us at times. Um, can be really exciting to watch. So yeah, yeah, be a be a hopefully hopefully a dry day and hopefully load of uh, load of good rugby to watch. You'd have played a few games with George Gibbings and Joe, wouldn't you? I just missed George. Um Did you only just so? But yeah, I, I know. I thought sort of, I think I played played against him when he went when he went to Leicester, but he'd already gone to. Not quite that old, nearly. Look, I look nearly, but not quite. Oh, sorry, you're still under 40. <laughs> Just about.
0: <laughs> uh. Right. Well, go. Uh, tickets are still available. Like I say, December 30th. And you obviously get the double header of the uh, Gloucester uh, Harlequin's Woman versus Gloucester Harpery as well. So do go and grab your tickets. Um, Joe, I can see well, it's getting dark where you are. So I'll let you get on the road from wherever you're. You're parked, but go well this weekend and go well at Twickenham on the 30th. And thank you so much for your time.
1: No problem. Cheers. Thanks for that, guys.
0: Cheers. After a dramatic Rugby World Cup, all eyes are now on the Guinness Six Nations. Make it a special day with friends, family, teammates, colleagues or clients by booking an exceptional official hospitality experience with our friends at Keith Prowse, Principal Sales Partner to England Rugby Hospitality. Their match day experience in the gate really has to be seen to be believed. So book your experience now and make memories that'll last a lifetime. Visit keithprouse.co.uk forward slash the rugby paper now. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday, and to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to our print, digital, and online options at therugbypapercouk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypapercouk forward slash subscriptions to get all our
1: content for as listed as 14p per day.